Network, a podcast designed for women working in financial services and financial technology. I'm Cheryl Brown, Chief Engagement Officer at Females and Finance. I'm also an international speaker on social and digital marketing, too. On The F Word, you'll meet leaders in the community, as well as learn more about recruiting, training, advancing, and retaining quality female talent. Let's take a listen to today's episode. Season one, episode five, and today I have my first dynamic duo on the podcast, Katie Burke and Bridget Venus Grimes of Equita Financial Network. Katie is not only a CFP professional located in the Philadelphia area who runs a financial planning firm called Method Financial Planning, but also is a mentor on the Women's Initiative Forum at the CFP board. Bridget is also a CFP professional located in the San Diego area, runs a financial planning firm called Wealth Choice, and is the author of Corner Office Choices, The Executive Women's Guide to Financial Freedom. Wow, that was a lot. Good job for me. But welcome to the show today. I'm very excited to have you here. Hey, Cheryl. Thank you. So we all met on LinkedIn. Uh, Financial Advisor Magazine wrote a really awesome article about you and your new venture with Equita Financial Network. And when I saw it, I reached out. We're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, but just so the listeners know, we've all never met in person. And what I think is funny is we talk a lot online, and I consider you, of course, both sisters in the females and finance space and in that community, but I think folks think that we've all been maybe friends for years um, and just from our online chats, because I get that a lot of times when people ask to get introduced to you, and I'm like, I'll be happy to make an introduction, but we've never actually met, and they're like, what? I can't believe that. So I love how social media can really work to bring people, you know, closer together. I don't know if you've experienced that as well when you meet people online. You know, it's actually funny you say that because, um, you know, Katie and I are on different sides of the coast and most of our interaction is either with calls or email. Um, And I know with my clients, they're all over the country now. And then when you talk about creating a community, the way you've created it through LinkedIn, this robust community of women, you know, we've so evolved in our industry and just in, in business in general, where you don't have to be next to somebody to really get to know them. You know, I just think that there's all of these awesome opportunities for us too. So, um, you know, love what you've done with females in finance. We have met actually, you know, in addition to you, we've met some other really awesome women in our industry. Uh, through the group? Through the group. Yes. Uh-huh. That yeah, is actually great. warms my heart because, you know, people ask, uh, you know, why did I do it? Or, and I found it was because we had all of these siloed female components out there, right? right. And so, so if you look at it from like the broker dealer, each of them have their own women's initiative or an insurance firm has their own initiative. But there really wasn't anything that was, that I felt that was wrapping everything around and anything outside of that had a, you had a chapter meeting to go to or whatever. I, I, I'm just not of that mindset. If there's somebody that I want to do business with who happens to be in Denver, I don't want to have to go, you know, be a part of a Denver chapter in order to, you know, get to know that person better. So I felt like this gave us one big wrapper, invited us in. People ask, why did I choose Facebook? And it was, honestly, it was very self-serving because I could community manage it easier. Uh, I was, at the time when I was featuring people on LinkedIn and kind of doing a test market of the book it became increasingly more difficult to connect the women in a way that really honored their time and who they were and what they were trying to do and how quickly. So I felt like the Facebook group kind of brought us together. So I really appreciate you both, you know, being a part of that and, and using it and leveraging it as a space to meet other people. 
So that leads me to ask, how did you both get involved in financial services? Because I'm pretty transparent with people when they ask me how I got here. I, this is it. I faxed my resume to the wrong number. I moved to San Francisco, mm-hmm. thought I was rich. And I know that Bridget can appreciate this. Thought I had thousand dollars and thought I had all this money saved up. I was in a day broke. Oh, yeah. So here I am sitting at a Kinko's in Berkeley, California, faxing resumes and I faxed the wrong number and Mass Mutual picked up the phone and called me on a Monday and said, we think you're looking for something else, but we're hiring. Would you like to come in? And I'm like, absolutely. Totally lied. I'm sorry, Mass Mutual. I totally <laughs> lied. They said, did you know anything about insurance? And I'm like, yeah, my dad paid my car insurance. That's all I knew. Okay. Like, seriously, this is true. I totally lied. But uh, they took a chance on a poor girl from St. Peter's, Missouri and gave me a chance. And there I was. And here I am <laughs> 30 years later. So I'm always like, be nice to Mass Mitchell. They took a chance on this, you know, <laughs> and there they are. But I'm just yeah. really curious. How did, you know, it wasn't like I grew up to say, I'm going to be a financial service professional. So how did you guys get started? Bridget, do you want to go first? Sure. So um, I had actually, out of college a million years ago, I had actually gone right to Wall Street and I had worked for some hedge funds in totally different capacity. You know, I just traded stocks, wound up leaving um, and doing some other things. But when I got divorced, when I wound up in the middle of a divorce, um, I had this really amazing, like an epiphany. I realized that I had two little kids. I had a career. I was really, really busy. And um, it was a combination of I had never paid a bill, by the way, because I was too busy to worry about my own financial situation. And um, I had my husband pay the bills, which apparently he didn't do very well. That's a total story. Um, But I had chosen to not engage with my own finances because I was too busy. But what was interesting is my two best friends were going through divorces at exactly the same time. They were really accomplished professionals. Our children were friends. Um, And it occurred to me that our situations were not at all unique, that these working women had no time to worry about their own financial security. And it is truly because of that that I came back into the industry and I launched a practice focused purely on helping women execs live a decent life. Katie? So I was one of those people, Cheryl, that said I want to be a financial planner. So what happened was I went into undergrad and I was pre-med, so I was a bio major. My sophomore year, I had my first anatomy and physiology class. And I said, I don't want to do this. I don't like it. So I came home that fall break and got an internship with my parents' financial planners. And my internship was basically entering data into a CRM system, shredding paper, um, really kind of entry-level administrative tasks in any office. I started to learn more about their practice and every time I was home over the summers, I would work there and realize, you know what, I'm, I'm pretty good at math. And I think that this would be industry that was really fun to work in. You get to talk to people all day. You still get to use, you know, some, some of those math skills. Let's put it all together. And I want to, that's what I want to do. So I graduated school, went to their firm and said, okay, I graduated. You know, can I work for you? I said, no, <laughs> go get experience, you know, go out in the real world, go work for large firms. And then if you still want to do this, come back and we'll, you know, we'll see what works. So oh, wow. I uh, moved to Baltimore, which is the headquarters for T. Rowe Price and ended up getting a job there pricing mutual funds and started again, kind of at the bottom and working my way up and trying to figure out what really interested me, you know, what was really of interest in the financial services world. Um, worked for a couple other larger firms and eventually after 
I moved to the RIA space for about six years, um, worked for a larger RIA in San Diego. And after my first son was born, I decided that I wanted to switch directions and open my own practice. And sort of like how Bridget was explaining, I wanted to serve clients that were like me, or like me and my family. My husband and I were busy working professionals. We had a, you know, young kids. We had all of these needs, these planning needs. And I remember when I first set out what my firm looked like, what the values were, who I wanted to work with, I thought, what would I do in my busy life when I was looking for somebody like me to just take care of my financial situation? What would I Google? What would I look for? What do I need? And that's how I built my practice method financial planning is working with busy professionals like myself and helping to simplify their financial lives. So you two almost couldn't be further apart on the map between Philly and San Diego. So how yeah. did the two of you connect? So when I was in um, San Diego, we were both part, I think the first time we met, we were both part of a networking group, San Diego Women in Finance. Mm-hmm. And we had different business contacts that knew each other. And so Bridget and I met a few different times. Um, And when she launched her own firm, and she can kind of discuss this a little bit more, but when she launched her own firm, we started chatting more because I had launched my firm about a year earlier and started to talk about now that we're running each our own business, we both know each other, we both like each other. And what are some ways that we can learn from each other in order to have success in our financial planning practices? I love that. Yeah. You know, it's been really wild. I have to tell you because, you know, when I initially got into this industry, everyone's your competition Mm -hmm. Um, or that's how it's kind of sent, right? And so it's interesting when I was at um, a wirehouse a number of years ago, I was the only woman who was not an assistant or back office. I was the only woman financial advisor and everyone really did look at each other as competition. And so there was no sharing of best practices because that makes you super vulnerable, right? If you don't know everything. And it's, it's really interesting. So Katie and I met here in San Diego and then, you know, she relocated and we, I knew her and we just started to collaborate on client cases. And we realized that this was awesome. We had a resource now because you're running your own firm, which you are essentially a silo. And um, we had each other to go to on everything, best practices for business, client solutions, you're having a crappy day, um, help each other navigate the industry. And we found that the, we, we had, we just clicked. Mm. And we also thought that what we had was awesome. And wouldn't it be great if other women were part of this? Um, because, you know, we've talked about this in the past. Women are unfortunately excluded from the traditional man network in our industry and in most industries, to be honest. So this was something that worked for us. And we thought, wow, um, we bet that this would really resonate with other women in our industry. Yeah. And I, you know, it's so funny. I saw on Twitter, I'm totally stealing this from somebody, but they, you know how you look at the uh, speaker uh, to see who's speaking at events, right? Mm -hmm. And I'll say moderated panels and it's all these men. And somebody on Twitter said, they're not called panels, they're mannels. (laughs) So it's it's stuck with me forever now. I'm like, oh, that's a mantle. And so it's just so true. And what what clicked it for me, to your point, Bridget, was uh, January of 2017, I was speaking at an event in San Diego, or San Antonio, excuse me, and there were four women. 
there was, I remember asking the event uh, coordinator that day, how many cheeks were the seats? Cause it kind of gauges me as a speaker, mm-hmm. like how much Q and a time I need to allow, et cetera. And she said 300 people. When I got up there, I remember, I don't know, it just clicked. And I thought, how are there four women? Like I, I kept looking out and I'm like, that's a lot of dudes. And so to your point, it is, it, they're still very much, everything is geared toward that. And I've even spoken to people in the women in trucking industry about the females in finance, what we've done. I've spoken to uh, women in mechanics in this, you know, what they're doing there, welding and such, and what we're doing in females in finance. So you're exactly Great. right. Um, I'm really curious too. So now you've done this, you've connected you've put Equity together, which is a registered investment advisory firm. How did that idea spawn and later came to be? And then you're actively bringing women and, you know, others into your practice now to, um, as an RA. I'm really interested in that kind of storyline too. Katie, you want to speak to that? Because this is all Katie. (laughs) It's Katie's fault. It's Katie's fault. (laughs) So Bridget and I, you know, after collaborating together for a few months, we wanted to find a way to formalize relationships. So we spoke to some attorneys and kind of looked around the industry to see what would work, that we could continue to work together in a way that helped us both build our firms. So in these discussions, um, we talked about, you know, I had an RIA already under my planning firm and how could we both attach to this and make it scalable in a way that other women want to join. And that was, Bridget, I was just thinking about this last night. That was about a year ago. It was a little more than a year ago. I know. So it has been a wild ride. Um, We first, we first started speaking. It was, you know, here's our general concept, obviously. And then we went out running and met and talked to every vendor, every service provider that we thought would be a good fit on this platform that would help the other women and ourselves as business owners mm-hmm. run really efficient practices, be able to grow, be affordable, and be the place where as a female in finance, we could find that support and collaboration that we're all looking for. And I think we can all speak to every area of finance we've worked in and other firms, how there have been women's initiatives that have been created to to try and fill this void mm-hmm. and in a lot of places they're actually not doing very much or they're failing at that. So we wanted to not only provide the platform piece of here's a way to plug in and run your business and really be turnkey, but what is that collaboration, mentorship, succession planning, those discussions that we want to have, how do we fit that all together? And we spent about 10 months putting this platform together. Wow. That is awesome. You know, Bridget just spoke at FPA last week um, to let you know more people know about what we're doing, Love and it. it's it's really exciting talking to um, to other people who want to join in this movement with us and join our platform. You know, it's um, what you've done there is great, and I think that I think you guys are just hitting on an artery right now, and so mm-hmm. it's kind of you know right. It's it's just growing, and and I hear those conversations more and more. I, I will tell you, I'm going to take ownership of saying this um, that. I go on to a lot of websites that say they support women. I think it's a lot of lip service a lot of times. I feel like I, there's almost, I can vision, they're, they're sitting in some room <laughs> reviewing the website and going, do we have a women's initiative? Oh, yep, check. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's like five clicks deep on a website somewhere that if anybody submits an RFP, you know, request for proposal to work with them, do you have a women's program? Yes, we do. We can check that, right? 
that doesn't mean that you're women friendly. It doesn't mean that you support the needs of women, financial service professionals, et cetera. So to go out there and say it on a website like you've done is just refreshing for someone like me who does a lot of research in this space because it was part of what drove the females in finance startup of putting everybody together and trying to find those that truly, you know, supported them. So I, I like I said, I take ownership of saying that, but it's uh, really unique what you've done and I'm super applaud you. And it's why I was so attracted to the article when Financial Advisor put that out. Uh, next up, I want to talk about Bridget's book. So Corner Office Choices. You were kind enough to send me a copy. There it is. You know what? I got to be honest. I don't, you know what I'm, I, I, I want those boots. <laughs> those boots great. I know. <laughs> I know. It sounds crazy. I was looking at it. I was like, <laughs> you know, I think you're the only financial service professional who wore those boots on. I was okay. Like, so just FYI, that's like one of 300 covers we had made. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And I never, ever wanted my picture on a book cover. That's a whole story behind that. But um, nope, that, that kind of was out of desperation. We rejected like 299 covers. Uh, editors, like, you got to pick something. I love it. Trust me. I, I opened it up and it was one of those kind of moments. So uh, I'm going to ask you, um, I'm a writer myself. And it is no easy task to write a book. It's just not. Trying to harmonize your life to find time to write. I'm in that right now with a book with so many people and everything coming out. What made you want to write a book? What made you decide I have to do this? Because there's something that just pulls as uh, at us to sit down and put what's in our brain into pages. Yeah. So actually I wanted to write that book six years ago and I was just starting more than six years ago. I, I was just joining a new RIA and I remember sitting down in an interview and saying, and I'm writing this book. Well, he, you know, my owner was like, you know what? You're just not going to have time to write that book. I'm like, no, I, anyway, I didn't have time to write that book. So, <laughs> because he was right. Cause I worked, you know, 68 hours every week. But, um, so when I launched my firm wealth choice, which was a little over two years ago, um, I had an, in, I, I intended to write that book. And why did I write it? Because at the same time we were launching Equita and timing was not great, but you know, you get the story in your head and you just want to get it out. And I got tired of, you know, I serve women execs and I cannot tell you there is tremendous similarity in hardworking women professionals. And these same four pitfalls kept happening over and over again. And you, I got to the point where I thought, man, if I could actually put out something and for these women and they could see these are the four issues that will jack them up financially, they can totally do something about these. It, it, you know, they can make their life better because I have women who make great money who come in here and they have nothing to show for it and they're miserable or, you know, right. I mean, it, it's amazing. So it was recurring and I thought it would be great to put out a resource for these folks, but also my industry, our industry is failing to plan for women. It's failing to plan around those distinct financial challenges we have and they are just as plain as day. And so we're not planning around the gender specific issues women have financially, but then you dive even deeper for the challenges women in business have, which is why Katie and I launched Equita. And, you know, we need to provide solutions for these people. So it was, it was for both. It was both for women to help themselves get out of their way and have a better life. And then it was for planners to really help guide women better. And it is absolutely in line with everything we're doing with Equita because it, it's, it's about how do you help women succeed in business and life? And as you know, financial planning is 
you know, Katie and I think it's the greatest industry on the planet. It, it allows you flexibility. It allows you to, you know, if you run your own business, you can earn what you are entitled to, which is not the case at another firm. Um, and, it, and, you know, we're providing the network that you are such an inspiration for with females in finance. You know, look at how, I don't know how many people are on this. It's over 1,500, right? Yeah, we're almost to 1,600 now in, four, in less than five months. But doesn't that tell you there's a tremendous need for women to come together, like-minded oh. women? So, Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's just there's a tremendous need. And so that's part of, you know, what we wanted to provide too is how do you bring women together? But anyway, so that's the impetus behind the book. It's, it's, it, it's, I, I'm thrilled that it's finally out there and I'm hoping it makes a difference. Well, it does. And I'm going to share a couple of things that you didn't know I was going to talk to you about today. So one was I got divorced uh, last year and I would been married for 25 years. I did not handle my, I work in financial services. I, it took me a long time to articulate this in a way that didn't make me feel embarrassed. Um, I worked in financial services. I did not handle the finances of our family. And when my um, ex-husband decided to leave, one, I didn't have any clue where the money was. I made good money but I didn't know where it was. Sure. I, had, I had none. I literally had nothing when he left. And so I had to completely rebuild. And then I also figured out that uh, my number one, here's my number one takeaway from being married for 25 years, getting divorced. And no matter who gets awarded the debt or this or that, if you have joint debt, TransUnion, Equifax, nobody cares about your divorce. They want you to pay the bill. Right, and if the if the the spouse ex spouse gets awarded the debt, and they do not make the payment, you must make the payment, or it affects you. And I learned that lesson, and you can read between the lines on where I'm going with that. So, um, in addition to that, something else I'm going to admit to you: you talk a lot about bridging the gap of where you are to where you want to be in the book, and one of my biggest obstacles um, in my finances you ready, is, is budgeting. Um, I hate the word. I feel like it's dieting for your money. You know, when I hear that, it's the very first thing. I'm like, well, I'm getting stuff taken away. You know, it's the first thing I hear of a diet. It's like, I can't have a ho-ho. You know, it's like, I have to, <laughs> I, it's, that's how exactly how I feel about budgeting. It's like, what? I can't buy a purse anymore or whatever it is I want to buy. So you talk a lot about it in the book because I, you know, but one of the things for me that um, I alone struggled with that when I first became single, I didn't really understand what that meant. I mean, even though I've worked in financial services, I don't think I had a fundamental understanding because it's something you say to people, but until you actually applied it to yourself, there's a whole different ball of wax, right? Mm -hmm. And um, I'm also going to be honest and tell you, they don't talk to you about in school. It's like literally like a paragraph in some accounting class that you took in high school or college, but you really don't go into depth of this is how you manage your money. So, you know, is that something that you, I mean, I, I think you really, uh, am I alone in this? No. And actually, Katie, you can speak to this too, because, you know, this is one of the reasons I really love to collaborate with Katie because she was spending time on that piece. And, you know, at budgeting is totally empowering. I mean, it sounds like a nightmare. Um, my husband probably hates that I have this budget and I'm always checking in with him and I'm like, Hey, what, did, what is that on Wells Fargo? But, um, but it truly makes a difference and it doesn't have to be this heinous thing. You know, I mean, it's not like we're watching every dime people make, but it, it's about choices. And this is what I think is so important. If at least you know where your money goes, you get to choose to spend it differently. And if you have some things you want to accomplish, you know, you want to put a kid through school, you want to buy a house, whatever your goals are, 
most of the women in my world can accomplish those goals if they make different choices. Mm -hmm. So by having the budget, you know, it's awareness and you get to choose where that money goes. And are you going to buy like crazy expense? I have people who will walk in, they make very good money. And because they work so hard, they want to spend it on instant gratification. And I have a client, she'll go to Nordstrom and she'll spend 10 grand. No kidding. And, and temporarily she feels really good about it. But we are moving away from this because she, then it goes away. The satisfaction is done. It's fleeting. And then, you know, she has these clothes and, and what does that get her? But it's very common for, for women professionals. It's common for people in general. So the budgeting can really help. And I think Cheryl too, um, how you're saying budgeting is a, you know, kind of a taboo or bad word in some people's head, the first reaction. I have clients who make really good money. You know, they're both working and they say, initially, I start out with every one of my clients for financial plan, renew cash, renew budgeting. We don't need a budget. We know we have money left at the end of the month. But what are you doing with the money? I just think it's really important that mm-hmm. Bridget said, you know where the money's going? So you can make a choice as to what to do with that excess money each month. Are you saving it? Are you just leaving your checking account? You know, what are, are you putting it towards goals? These are choices that you could make once you start to understand how that, how that money, you know, where it's going. You know, and I think what's really important mm-hmm. is what both of you just said there. I think that for the most part, a lot of people hear the word budgeting and mm-hmm. they think of lower income, middle mm-hmm. income, right? Yeah. And that they need to have a budget. Everybody needs to have a budget. Now the budget's different. Correct. You know, right? Yeah. Budget for somebody who's at a, you know, a high income level, their budget's different, but they need to have a budget because it does direct. And I will also tell you too, that one of the things that I was super cognizant of, of, you know, even in my current relationship with my significant other, he sits down every Sunday and balances his checkbook and he, and he's a, you know, a hardworking, a medical professional and everything, but there he is with his checkbook, balancing it out knows what he has to spend. He has a budget already printed out. I mean, and so I, I warm to that because I'm like, oh, you know, financial security is female. Like we feel that, I always tell people we feel that shit in our soul. I do as a single woman. I'm not even going to lie. You know, so when you're, you know, you, you, you ha- I had to also make better choices going forward too in, in who I identify and spend my time with too because it's to the point that, you know, you know, talking about spending $10,000 on clothes and you temporarily feel good. If you keep going back to that, you're just going to keep getting more of what you've already gotten. Right. So I had to actually make a a mental choice of the next person I want to spend my time with. And, you know, I want to make certain that they know that, and I'm really transparent. We'll decide to want to do a vacation and I have to look at him and say, Hey, not in my budget. Mm -hmm. And that is hard words. It is hard. It is hard. But you know, if you're choosing to if you choose that, right, I'm not going to do this because I'm going to put my money in another place that's more important for me. You know, that's, that's your choice. It's empowering. It truly it is, is empowering. empowering. Absolutely. You know, to know that I have a nest egg that I'm building versus. Or whatever. Go to Cancun. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and you can do both. You can do both, right, Katie? I mean, it's just question yeah. planning for them. Yeah. And I'm glad you talked about that in your book a lot. So people need to read this because I think yes. it's, it's uh, valuable at no matter where your income level is. You have a lot of things in there that speak to no matter where you're at. So I was grateful for that. So one of the things I'm going to switch it up a little bit again too, because this is a topic that's near and dear to me is about fiduciary. Um, I know that 
people see me as a social and digital marketer in the financial services space. And they're like, well, what does she know about fiduciary? What a lot of people do not know or may not realize is that I have worked in financial services for almost 30 years, which means I was here before Facebook was here, you know, before they even dreamed it up um, or however that came to be, which is, I know, arguable in and of itself. But that term fiduciary has been around a long time. And I remember being um, working for a very large insurance firm and our office, our, our satellite office was also an OSJ for a broker dealer. And one of the principles of that office, that was back in the 90s, 2000s, uh, we were talking about fiduciary responsibilities, even then. And so I'm curious to see what your guys' take on that. Do you think enough of us in financial services take that term seriously? And the reason why I'm saying it is because I just read a great article. Uh, again, I think it was Financial Advisor Magazine. I, I'm a pretty, uh, you know, good, pretty good follower of their stuff. But they talked about Paul Romer. And I don't know if that name rings a bell, but he just won a Nobel Prize in economics, um, or one of the recipients of, rather, I should say, about his zero tolerance policy for economics. And when I read through it, it was really enlightening because he was talking about how people are not taking full accounts of the, you know, the economic measures of things and, the, and all of that. But in terms of people talking about fiduciary, I feel like it's a term and a practice that some firms have, in fact, become lazy about, whether it's their interpretation, their accountability, the actual practice of monitoring, et cetera. So do either one of you want to talk about what your thoughts are about the importance of fiduciary going forward in financial services and how it is for you at Equita? So I think that a lot of companies, a lot of websites, the word is thrown around a lot, fiduciary. Everybody says they're fiduciary. Mm -hmm. So if you have your if you're a registered investment representative, you have your 65, 66, you are said to be that you need to use act in a fiduciary manner and put your client's interests first. Um, I think that there might be a loose interpretation of that. And Bridget and I, as a registered investment advisory firm, and also as CFPs, so certified financial planners, we take that term very seriously. It is you know, kind of our first foot forward with our clients. A lot of our clients come to us and they're trusting us with their entire financial picture. It's not the traditional, I'm just, they're just coming to us for portfolio management and just one piece of their financial picture. We were helping them put all the pieces together. And a lot of times clients will come, I just had a client last week who was referred to me and they had a bad experience with an advisor. And so they're asking all the right questions and they almost felt like they, they weren't sure if they should ask these questions. Like, and they wrote in the email with one set of questions, this is really awkward for us to ask, but we have to ask. And they asked questions about being a fiduciary and what would I do in a certain situation? And I was so appreciative and I let them know. And I said, as your advisor, I want you to have this trust and I want you to understand how seriously, you know, we take this through my firm that I work with because this is, it's so important. It's so important for you as the client and the consumer to be asking these questions. And I think that more consumers need to understand what the rules are and ask these of their advisors, because that's the only way you're going to get the answers. Again, throwing the term around is one thing, but actually adhering to it and putting it as the forefront of your practice, I think is, is different. Yeah. And I just, again, it's one of those things where, you know, you've, you said it very well. You articulated it well. I think that when I go on there, a lot of people are, it's a box checking. Again, we're back to the box checking things. Like, oh, we have our fiduciary thing on there, you know? And it's like, do you really take it seriously? Do you really fundamentally? I think um, definitely the CFP board 
uh, people who are CFP professionals, I, I, I see a very strong sense of duty towards that. And so I've always been really grateful that that's uh, something that's first and foremost. But for me, it's something that I remember, like I said, vividly back in the day kind of thing that we were talking about it back then. And so when people talk about it now, it's not like it's new. Right. Something we should have been doing back then anyway. So now it's glad to see people who take uh, you know, responsibility and say, this is our first and foremost thing. And, and I know that is something that you both take very seriously with uh, your firm. So I appreciate that. And another thing too that's really important and near to, dear to me is male allies. Um, I have, would not be where I am today. I'm, I'm very transparent about where I am today is because of male allies. I was, you know, going back to my mass mutual day, a man hired me and took a chance later on. His name is Robert Brumby. I love to always give him credit. He is still my mentor to this very day. And so hi, Robert, if you're listening, because I know you usually follow my stuff. But he, uh, later on, when I asked him years later, like, why did you take a chance on me? He's like, oh, you asked really smart questions and things. And I thought, go me. I <laughs> like, one accounting class maybe in college or something. I don't know. But, uh, you know, we all three are, I think we value, you know, strong men that are out there championing women, which I think is great. Tell me, do you know, and there's no right or wrong answer to this question. So I don't want you to think like it's, it's not, I'm just really curious about your thoughts and your opinions, but are there ways men can really be helping women working in financial service roles today? I mean, what are maybe some of those ideas or thoughts that you might have around that? You know, I would say you know, one of the challenges for women in financial services is that we don't have mentors and there aren't few mentors and there are very few advocates for women in the industry. And there have been a zillion studies that show that if people have mentors who help them navigate their industry and if they have an advocate for them at their firm who can put them out in front, get them the recognition that they need those folks are more likely to get the roles that they want and they're mo more likely to become leaders. Um, and so I would say what we could really use is to have more men who within their firms and even within their firms advocate for the women who they believe, you know, it, it's gender neutral, right? It doesn't matter who the person is, but, but, you know, regardless of gender, but we need more women to have advocates within their own firms. Mm -hmm. um, that's critical. We also need to have more men who are mentors for women because as long as our industry and most industries are led by men, which is just the way it is, um, you know, we're going to need male leaders to really help these women move up the food chain. We can't do it without them. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's integral. But those are the two areas, specifically the advocate piece, where if we could have more help from male leaders, we could make an inroad to the fact that only 23% of CFPs are women and that hasn't changed in a decade. We need help. Yeah, I agree. And you know, it's something else too, is I, I recently had a conversation with reputational risk with another firm. They had hired me to do a, a quick talk with their staff uh, about just social media crisis and stuff. And recently I made a comment on Facebook about a picture for an event that they were inviting financial service professionals to, every person in that picture in the room was a man. Everyone, yeah. everyone. There were a hundred, everyone. And I made a comment down in the box that said, you know, not very many women in that room. You can come join us at Females in Finance, you know. And for the most part, that was actually men and women had stepped up and said, you're right, we should get more women. And it was very positive, but then there's always the one there's always the one and they have to come out and say it. And some man came in and said, 
you know, who cares? Why do you, why are you pointing this out kind of thing? You know? So I actually took the time to go over and look them up. Do you think that my take on their firm and do you think that they had a female initiative? Check. Did they have a diversity inclusion? There you go. Check. Right. Do you think that I'm going to ever want to work with that firm? Do you think that if women come to me and say they're looking for a female friendly firm that I'm going to want to work with them? No. Do you think they're going to be a mentor to a woman? No. So I think what your point is, and I hope that the men hear this loud and clear, is that we need true mentorship, not box checking mentorship. Right. Right. For sure. And to answer that guy's question about, you know, what, what difference does it make if you have women as part of your organization? Um, unfortunately, the diversity, and unfortunately, I guess on, on his side, the diversity um, actually is shown to have a resounding effect on the increase of revenue at firms mm-hmm. because it's a difference of perspective, which actually, believe it or not, translates to money. Yeah. So if you didn't even care about just trying to help women, you know, get to a different place in, in, in industry, I would think that most companies would embrace the fact that at least by having the diversity, the revenue is going to go up. Yeah. And he was a principal of a firm. So I often just wondered for the people, cause I, I looked back at it and thought, oh, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do well under his leadership, just being honest. So, uh, you know, Katie, do you have any thoughts on, you know, male allies and what you have seen that has worked or what you'd like to see more of maybe even? So in my career in financial services, it's been about 15 years. Um, I never worked alongside a female financial advisor. I only worked for all male advisors. Um, there, I had a couple of female peers on my team. Most of the females at the firms were usually in administrative roles. So I, and I worked for a couple of different firms. The one firm worked at two separate offices, office locations. And I think the most helpful thing that the men at those firms did was pushing down this thought of this mentorship towards women from the top. You know, so it was the culture of we all need to, you know, what's the path? How do we discuss career development? How do we discuss, you know, becoming a successful person in this career? No matter if it was a female or male on our team, but it was more that culture of we're going to kind of move everybody up rather than just sit back and say, let's just let be, we'll be because there's, there's leadership at each of those, there's leadership, people in leadership position at each of those firms that can have an impact on that. Mm -hmm. So even if, there's not women who I could look up to and say, I can model, you know, can I have kids in this and be an advisor? Can I be a wife? You know, can I do all of these things I want to do and still be an advisor? I don't know. Cause I never worked with someone that had that same, that same stuff on their plate, yeah. but can I be successful in this career? Well, if there was men at the firm that felt like that was part of the culture to mentor and help us grow in our careers, I felt much more supported in those offices and that in the business. Yeah. So no, I think I it's a very that. important part. No, I think that's a really, a really good point. So I like to wrap up the interviews. We do something fun. I change it up every time. So people think, oh, I'm going to figure out what she's going to do. I'm like, no, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> so we're going to do sort of a rapid fire random question just to kind of get an idea of, you know, who you guys are as people outside of all of this. And I share too. <clears throat> so I don't just make you guys have to tell on yourselves. I tell on me too. First one's kind of it's actually kind of nice. Who? So we'll start with Katie. Who do you admire the most?
if I could pick two people, um, so not just one person, but both of my parents. So my dad is a businessman, has okay. been very supportive and made it work. So he was able to run a successful business, but still be around the family a lot. Um, and my mom had three kids and went to nursing school when we were all very young and had her own nursing career. So she worked when we were younger and I just, with all of my crazy business ideas, you know, all of the things I've done over the past few years, I always have their support. I present to them and let them know what I'm doing, but having their support in my career, my business, my family life has meant the world to me and helping with my success. How about you, uh, Bridget? Who do you admire the most? So um, I I guess it would be two people. And one is my dad, who is um, also an amazing role model. He's an entrepreneur. He's 81, almost 82. He still runs his own flourishing company on the East Coast. The guy's amazing. He was the fourth oldest to ever finish the through hike on the Appalachian Trail three years ago. Wow. I mean, the guy's like firing on all cylinders. And he is, you know, like Katie's parents, um, he just, he's worked so hard. He's just a good person. And he's an amazing role model. And my sister, who is also an entrepreneur, she's younger than I am. And she actually started a business a few years ago, completely from zero, right? So I've been in my industry a long time. She's an architect, but she wanted to start this particular business uh, in design. And her perseverance, her drive, and how she has built this business, and how she has, um, you know, just really embraced this abundance within her industry, it's amazing. And if it weren't for the two of them, I wouldn't be where I am. They're just, they've been wonderful, wonderful role models. I love that. And I have to choose my dad because my mom died when I was six and um, it was kindergarten year and uh, she passed away. We had just started September 19th. She had passed away and I had brand new in school, not even like a week, you know, and you know, my, my mom passes and my dad. So we had Mother's Day came up in May and the class all did Mother's Day gifts and I don't have a mom you know, to give it to. So I remember coming home and I had this, like this potted plant and my dad's like, well, I'm your mom now. I want that gift. And I'm like, okay. So I gave it to him. So every year I'm 47, going to be 48 years old. I still send my dad mother's day cards. (laughs) And he's always like that story. He just, he's so cute. But uh, yeah, he, he did every year. He let me do his hair. He let me paint his fingernails. He let me do all the things that little girls, you know, for a lot of us like to do. And he was very supportive of that. So dad, shout out to you for letting me put rollers in your hair. You were awesome. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And so what is the first thing that you guys do when you get up in the morning? Okay, Bridget. What's the first thing you do? Honestly, I walk my two dogs. It's a nightmare. And one is actually there in my office right now. One is blind and the other is deaf because they're really old. And they actually belong to my children. But then your children get old and they leave and you get the dogs. So, oh, um, so yeah. at 5.30, we're up and we're walking the dogs. And it's, you're you're um, grand doggies. <laughs> yes, I am. You're grand yeah. doggies. How about you, Katie? What's your first thing you do in the morning? So if there's not a child in my bed, because <laughs> I have a two-year-old and a four-year-old, oh my uh, which lately they've been pretty good. So I am super happy. I either get up and I get up at 5.30 as well because my husband um, gets up then for work and I either go for a run or I come and get an hour and a half work done before the kids get up. Oh my gosh. That gives me a great start to my day. If they're behaving, they're up at seven and then I feel like I've accomplished something before the craziness starts. <laughs> so Monday through Friday when I wake up, the very first thing that I do is, Daryl would say it, 
I get up and I make breakfast. Like I make breakfast every morning. It is my thing. I get up and ask, what do you want? And he's so cute because he'll lay there and be like, I want bacon, eggs, and toast today. I'm like, okay. So I go make it, you know, and then, um, and now he's come up. Sometimes he runs out of like options. He's like, and today he was like, I just want yogurt and granola bar. I'm like, I can make that, you know, but uh, that is something I still do that. And it's something, and people go, oh, but I one work from home. Two, um, it's just, I think breakfast is a really important meal. The rest of it, it's like we can all figure out later on, but I do like to have us do that. So that's my thing. How about, oh, this is going to be fun. Katie, what is the worst job you've ever had? Oh, not the name um, names either. No, so in high school, there was a, I live by a river, so in the Philadelphia area, large river where you can go tubing, kayaking down. So I worked at this tubing rental place <laughs> inner tubes to float down and I remember half the time my job was to sit in the parking lot and collect you know three dollars for people to park there during the day and they would leave me out there for eight hours a day it would be in the dead of summer with the east coast heat and humidity you know me and my Gatorade and my snacks and it was just it was the most exhausting job for just sitting there I would just sit there and take money there's no tent that was definitely my worst job oh. all right Bridget so there was a time in high school that for one week I was a waitress. <laughs> and so I have, to, I have to laugh because my parents belong to this, like, you know, kind of rinky-dink country club, if you want to call it that. That's what they call it. Um, and, you know, I heard people who were waiters and waitresses made lots of money. And I was, it was, you know, I need the money. I was in the middle of high school. And, um, and I was, I am just not that person. A, I cannot carry a tray with a lot of stuff on it. And B, like, don't tell me that you ordered something that you didn't order. <laughs> I still remember. It was terrible. There were, I, I, so I have so much respect for people in that industry, man, because I don't know how they can do it. So my worst job was 17. Taco Bell, I hate you. I worked there one day. It was one day, and it wasn't even a whole day. And I'm going to tell you what did it. I am five foot one, and the guy looked at me and says to go in the freezer and pull this enormous, and when I say enormous, enormous, I'm maybe like, I'm 17, about five foot one, maybe 98 pounds. This, I think that that thing of meat was as big as I was. Like, it was pulling a dead body out of the freezer. <laughs> I walked in, and I looked at it. This is true. I walked in and looked at it and said, I don't make enough for this. I just don't. Done. And I walked out and I took my uniform off and said, get the meat yourself. I'm out. And I never even went back and picked up the check or nothing. Uh -huh. My dad was so mad at me. He's like, that was not good work ethic. <laughs> I, I did all right. I'm okay. I survived the Taco Bell, you know, back this year. So we had some fun. So I really, again, I can't thank you guys enough for, you know, taking time, spending it with me today, talking. I think the work that you're both doing, Equita, is amazing. I applaud your commitment to women working in financial services, and I appreciate your contribution and participation in the females and finance community and movement. Uh, Bridget, your book is really was on point for me. I'm going to write a Friday. Good. Oh, really? Duh. I told you I shared some real stuff there, and I'm going to write a, a Friday Reads uh, review on it 
for okay. my website and share that with others. Awesome. Again, grateful for your shared time today and, uh, and looking forward to everybody being able to, to follow you. So how do our listeners get in touch with you? What's maybe the best way to contact either one of you and find any resources that you have for women who are looking to learn more about Equita? So they can go to our website, um, and, which is EquitaFN, or FinancialNetwork.com, and learn about um, exactly what, what the platform is all about, what we're, what we're creating, um, who our team is. We have an amazing team of folks. Um, and um, we've got on there a bunch of press, and what, so what, what our peers are saying, what the industry is saying about the platform. But honestly, the best way to get to know us is to talk to us. And so, you know, Katie and I have spoken to a number of different women considering the platform. We're in talks with a bunch of folks right now. Um, and, you know, we're an open book. The goal of this platform is truly to encourage more women to run their own businesses. Or if you already are, it's to have a better platform and an awesome network um, so that you are more successful. So, um, Katie, anything you want to add to that? No, I mean, I think our website is a great resource. We try and update it pretty frequently so that we can get the word out there about what we're doing. and. Yeah, we would, we love to chat with somebody just has questions or wants to learn more about, you know, anything that we're doing. We are just so happy to talk about, you know, we talk about it all day long, but we're so happy to share with other people what we're doing if they're interested. And we'll be sure to include all of that on the page notes too for everyone. So thanks. No, of course. And of course, thank you to the listeners for spending time on today's episode of The F Board. You can learn more about today's guests and the topics we covered in the show notes. And if you love today's podcast, come on, you know that you did. Please be sure to subscribe and don't keep us a secret. Share it. Tag hashtag females and finance in your post so we can engage with you too. Because remember, The F Word, it's where females and finance are not dirty words. Thank you for today.